of Vermont Ed Reads, we welcome Erica Saunders back to the show. Erica agreed to guest host an episode talking about Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adeyemi, and she's joined by Philadelphia-based educator Monique Carter as they talk about the emotional resonance of your own language, especially if it's lost and you ache to find it, what it feels like to finally see yourself represented right there on the cover of a book. And why everyone, especially in Vermont and Vermont schools, should read this book and others that bring us closer to understanding multiple perspectives, histories, and stories. As 2021 has not shown its best face to the world in the first half of January, this is a good and powerful listen, most especially about Monique's dad's advice to never yuck someone's yum. I'm Jeannie Phillips, and this is Vermont and Reads. Let's chat. So excited to be here. For those of you who don't know, I am guest hosting this time's uh, Vermont Reads. My name is Erica Saunders. I am a recent uh, addition to the Vermont area. I moved here about uh, just um, almost seven months ago now in mid-June from Philadelphia and am now a uh, proud member of the Vermont Burlington School District. Uh, and I am so excited that uh, I was asked to be host for uh, for an edition of Vermont Reads. And um, you all, I'm going a little crazy because I am here with my sister friend. For those of you who don't know what that term is, sister friend, um, she is uh, more than a colleague. She is more than a friend. She is practically family at this point. Um, and I am so happy that she agreed to um, be a guest here for us to discuss today's uh, book. I will allow her to introduce herself before I uh, introduce the book that we're going to be discussing today. So uh, without further ado, I am honored, thrilled, and beyond excited to introduce to you all my sister friend and fellow educator, uh, Monique Carter. Monique, please introduce yourself to everybody here in Vermont. Hi, <laughs> um, my name is Monique Carter. I am a mom first of two lovely girls. Hopefully you will not hear them in the background. I am a school teacher. I teach students math in the school district of Philadelphia. I've taught in a friend's school before. I've taught in a charter school in one of the most um, challenging school districts in Delaware County in Pennsylvania. And now I teach in Philadelphia. This is my fourth year with the school district of Philadelphia. And I teach fifth graders and sixth graders math. Um, thank you. Uh, Monique is being extremely humble, everyone. She is a uh, beyond a phenomenal educator and teacher. She is extraordinary. Uh, we met when we um, were both working at uh, Science Leadership Academy Middle School in Philadelphia, a project-based inquiry-driven school. Uh, and that's how we met. And um, like I said, have become uh, sister friends uh, at this point. And um, so 
thank you so much, Monique, for joining us. It's going to be like just hanging out with you, honestly. I'm going to try and stay professional, y'all, because this is my sister friend. Uh, so if you hear us kind of laughing and enjoying ourselves, you'll understand what I mean. Um, I am almost as excited, Monique, if not more excited about the book that we're going to be talking about as I am that I'm talking to you about the book we're going to be talking about. So um, let me get started so that everybody understands what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I have to give just a little bit of background because you might remember this, Monique, when um, when we were working together. So I would often go to Barnes and Nobles, everybody, or a bookstore. Um, uh, the only one around uh, in Philadelphia was that one. And my son and I both love to go to bookstores. So we would just spend hours in the bookstore, right, roaming. And um, even before I was a teacher, I tended to go towards the young adult fiction because, you know, there was a certain point in time where the um, quality and the interest level of it just just ratcheted up, you know, before our day. I don't know about you. I remember the Judy Bloom days, which again was phenomenal, but nothing like what we had now. So anyway, once I started teaching, you know, always looking for books that our kids, right, would be interested in when you mentioned, you know, some of the most challenging. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, so I remember walking into the store seeing this cover, which I'm about to show everyone in just a minute, and honestly feeling like drawn to it as though the book were reaching out to me to say, come and pick me up. Children of blood and bone. So never before had I seen a cover that represented uh, us in such exquisite ways. I mean, from the gorgeous white hair, you know, reaching up to the sun the way our hair, you know, will, will go up to uh, the, the exquisite skin color and everything. And so when I purchased this book, I don't know if you remember, Monique, I literally went walking around the school holding the book right here and just walking into classrooms. Hello, how are you? Not saying anything, waiting for the kids. Mm -hmm. I remember. Do you remember that? I remember. Like, we're going to talk a bit about that, but talking about representation for a moment, I, in my lifetime, I'm a huge reader, huge lover of books, and had never seen anything that looked like this. And then being um, as equally flabbergasted and excited when I saw the Queen author who also looked like me, whose hair looked like me, whose name, you know, even uh, inspired me. So we're gonna be talking about this extraordinary uh, book, uh, both for, you know, kind of the, the, the places it's gone with its storyline, um, which again, I hadn't seen before, right? Which was literally taboo in my home um, to, um, to the representation that we see. So um, I'm gonna pause a little bit. That was a lot of me talking um, and I'll go into it a bit more, but, but I wanted to start out really saying, because you and I have talked about it, you know, a lot being in the school we were in in Philadelphia with the, the uh, population that we taught. What exactly, you know, what does this book mean to us, you know, to people like you and me, we're similar um, in age, although I'm a little older, uh, you know, we're similar in age, we're both mothers, we both teach, you know, 
uh, black children, let's get real, right? Um, and have done so for a long time. So, so talk to us, talk to me. What, what does this, this, <laughs> you know, mean to you? Mm -hmm. Now, I, the reason why I wanted to say, I, I remember you walking around being so happy about this book is because when I saw it, I almost yucked your yum. I don't know if you remember that because yeah, you know you got to explain to folk what you meant by that all right I yucked your yum so like for for younger kids and, and the reason why I'm saying yucking your yum is because I have a a seven-year-old who's about to be eight years old and you usually tell kids listen with food it's something that someone else is uh, someone else likes if you do not like it just keep quiet about it or say like oh that's different for me you don't say, ooh, that's yucky. And it's something my dad always taught me as a little kid. Like, oh, if you see food there, like it's food, it sustains someone. And it it's none of your business to come and just yuck it. But I opened it up and I looked at the map and I was like, there's a map on the inside. I looked at the map and in college, I remember studying what they call in this book, um, the, or, or what's considered the Orishas as a part of um, some religious traditions that are more unconventional. And so I'm looking and I'm looking and I see, um, I see things like Ogun. I see things like Babaluaye, I see Orumila, I see Shango, I see Yemoja, and then I see Ori, I see Oya, and I'm like, what is Ayo? Ayao? I was like, that's not a deity in the in the Arisha, um, in the Arisha, Arisha um, list of divinities. Um, Arumila, and then they have Oshosi here, and I'm like, what is this about? And I was like, wait a minute, Oshosi and animals? And I was I had a whole perception of what this should be based off of the words. And I looked at it and I initially like poo-pooed it. And I was like, oh man, this is one of those that's gonna take our names and just do a whole bunch of different things with it. All right. What I probably should have done was just try to read the very first chapter um, so that I could have a little bit more information about it um, for myself. Because at that time, I was in a place in my discovery, not saying that this is the very first time that this has happened, but I was a place in my um, discovery where I realized that there were very few books um, that were like Percy Jackson um, that featured brown kids. Mm -hmm. And this was around the same time I was reading um, Marley Dias's book where she starts talking about how she came up with a list of books um, that had African-American protagonists. Well, my daughters got together um, and, and my nieces got together and we kind of did something that had like, we did a, a monthly chat where we had books or we featured books that had female protagonists, African-American females um, that were the protagonists of the book. But at the same time, my daughter's reading Percy Jackson and we just discovered 
um, I'm not sure if this is appropriate for this video, but we, we really just, we discovered like Tristan Strong punches a hole in the sky. And it, it was kind of along the same kind of like vein of Zeta Elliott and her dragons, um, dragons in a bag. I was looking at a lot of her work and she was sharing a lot of this work of, uh, or a lot of the teachings of other people saying that a lot of brown kids don't have fantasy stories where there are brown people who are the major protagonists mm -hmm. in the story. So if you think about fantasy, if you think about um, cosplay and a lot of things like that, you don't have too many African-American protagonists. Mm -hmm. um, so when I read Tristan Strong, I was like, whoa, like that was amazing. And then just understanding that premise and revisiting this book, and thinking like, oh, this book is a fantasy book. It is one of those books that allow kids, um, kids anywhere um, and any kind of kid. Um, I usually focus on kids who are, who are brown. Um, and I focus on kids since those are the ones that I teach. And I focus on kids who are living in um, what we call inner cities mm -hmm. who have to kind of juggle like, too much of real life sometimes and fantasy. Um, I can't say that children who are in inner cities um, don't have an opportunity to fantasize, but um, in their stories or usually the stories that are presented to them in class, I, I don't think that they have as many opportunities to look at themselves in a book and read about that fantasy. Mm -hmm. So, okay. No, so when this book right here, it means or it gives the kids that I teach, I teach in Philadelphia an opportunity to kind of now see themselves in those roles of, of characters who are magical or who have certain powers um, is kind of, and, 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 and it's, been, it's been, we've been wanting it for so long. And in, in part, in part, that's that's why Black Panther was such, was so appealing. We have now a uh, uh, really famous, because not saying there's never been one before, but one that's really out there that's, that's advertised on, on main media outlets that presents something that's based in Africa, something that's based in something that's inherently uh, what many people consider to be brown in a way that's like strong, powerful um, and magical. So, yeah, I am so glad you went there. Um, I have um, for so long in my teaching career uh, and being a parent looked for books that had black characters in the first place, right? Let's start there. Mm -hmm. um, let alone the main character and the story not be, you know, these are, these are wonderful topics, but the story not be based in slavery, based in seeking freedom, based in hardship, based in um, a position of, of uh, emptiness, mm -hmm. despair, 
-hmm. where uh, the lead character, there, there are wonder, and they're wonderful books. It's not that they're not, but they were the only ones. If you found them, if you yep. found them if. Uh, yep. in mainstream, because they are there, right? You and I both know they are there. There's wonderful, wonderful Black uh, authors and, and producing this work, but getting it out, like you said, in the mainstream, um, I was so disheartened to see book after book after book come through where the young Black male, because again, we know that, that finding female characters is hard enough, right? It's come a long way. <laughs> it's come a long way. Uh, but, you know, powerful, strong women characters is hard enough. So the books that I was seeing for our population, right, were of, um, you know, a young Black man who's in trouble with the law, who lives in poverty, who is overcoming, you know, thing after thing after thing. Um, and, uh, you know, again, good, powerful stories, but that can't be it. That can't be it. Right. That is not all of who we are. And it does not represent us in a totality. So I wasn't even, I mean, sadly, Monique, I didn't even, I didn't think we had, we could have it. The, the, the fantasy, yeah. you know, the, the spectacular, you know, the Harry Potters. Right. <laughs> right. You know of the genre, right? Um, and for me, again, I can't help but going uh, back to this cover and 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 kudos uh, to the artist because the the beauty of seeing us dark skin, yeah, dark skin female with uh, you know a, a blue tint to her eye, you know, again yeah. in in this. Uh, fear, you can just tell there's this in, in imposing beauty, strength with, again, the hair that reaches up. I just thought this can't be this, you know, this can't be. And then to open it and see uh, a black female um, author with natural hair. <laughs> like, like, there's so many places we can go, right? With natural Mine hair. Mine is a little older. Oh, you have, <laughs> you see her with the locks. <laughs> It's so great. Um, but you know, again, with, with someone who looks like us. And how how funny is that that you have the one with locks and I have the one? I meant to say mine is newer, I think, because I think, I think she's going. I think she's going. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, to see that and then know that this was something, and I literally walked around because I wanted the kids in school to see, and not just us. I wanted the white kids to see as well, you know, how we were represented. And, and for me, this, this was the, the, I don't want to say the conclusion because we're still looking, but this was finally what I had been searching for my entire career. And then to see it taking place um, in a, you know, fictionalized area of the continent, I wasn't even making the connections to the actual deities and things because I did not have that background. Um, but just to see this, you know, powerful young woman and our culture of origin, which again, when you see that it's slavery, right? It's pain, it's um, depicted often in a very negative sense of, of you know, less than right the, the primitive right. Uh, but this was like you said with black panther you know was like what what we can be right in that 
in right. that power and everything we bring. So I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I remember us talking and you saying, wait, is this okay for the kids? Cause you know what this is, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Um, and then seeing such a rich story and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lean on you a little bit uh, when we start talking about actual character names and things for, for correct pronunciation. Um, and I remember thinking, thinking about that where I was struggling a little bit, you know, because again, the wording and things aren't something I'm familiar with. And I thought, oh no, is this going to be a problem? But then I remember again, how easily do we accept that in books where there's white characters? Ah. Harry Potter, when I first read Harry Potter, right, there were words that were not part of our vernacular that aren't real. I mean, these weren't even real. We, I'm glad you said these are words coming from the root of something. Um, and I learned to say muggle and I learned to say, you know, things of that nature. And we, and we do in other areas. And yet I even felt a little like, is, is this going to be okay? You know, um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, and, and you know, this is a great transition to kind of talk a little bit about, um, there's so much going on. Yeah, there's so much in this book. Like, um, just to address the whole idea of like, is this okay for the kids? Because I know personally when, when kids ask me like, oh, Ms. Carter, um, what's your religion? Because I usually tell them like, I'm not Christian. And be like, oh, you're Muslim, right? Assalamu alaikum. Like, mm, alaikum but I'm not Muslim either. Um, I practice a religious tradition that is related to a lot of the deities here. And um, a lot of people don't realize that even some of the people in their Christian churches practice the same tradition as well. Now, the reason why I was asking if this was okay, because a lot of these deities have their root in things like Condomble, which is in Brazil, um, and Santeria, which is, uh, which you can see in a lot of um, Latin American, um, like countries like Puerto Rico, um, places where uh, Cuba, uh, you can see, yeah. And then like it has a foundation also in, in Vodun. And that right there, just saying the word Vodun is a lot for a lot of people. So just understanding that right there. Um, when I first looked at it, I was like, in the classroom, are we sure? Is this okay? And then just to understand that a lot of people in our school actually read this. And then they got a chance to meet the author when she came to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And that right there, I think blew my mind. Mm -hmm. um, just the things that people can either overlook or not necessarily pay too much attention to um, while reading something like this. Um, I took, I know in a lot of uh, the Harry Potter books and the Percy Jackson books, um, I listened to it because I, I, I read very slowly. And if you look at those books, they're very thick books. Um, so when I when you really got into it and when the kids were um, visiting the author, I was like, you know what? I need to give this book another chance. And I ordered it on um, so that I could listen to it online. And 
I listened to some of it and then I stopped. Um, but then we talked about doing something like this and, and reading the book for it. And I said, okay, let me just read the book. I listened to the first chapter and I heard some words in there and I was like, I have to look at the book. I have to actually read the book because I am so charged visually that I need to see the actions, whether they go this way or that way, because they use a lot of Yoruba words in here, a lot of Yoruba phrases in here. And even though I don't know how to read Yoruba or to speak Yoruba, I know this right here, an accent like this can mean for the same word on, on the same letter, this can mean something positive while this can mean something negative. And it could change the whole sound of the word. And so I was like having the actual words here so that I can see them was, I would say an absolute gift. And it came to the point where I was listening to the story while looking to see how they were spelling things in the book. Because like my, my understanding of this book and how it came to be like, it, it was weird for me. It was, it, for me, it, it almost followed my, ex, my family's, I guess, experience coming to the States and being a part of the tradition that I'm in now. Um, and just understanding that coming from, or being kidnapped from, my family being kidnapped from uh, different places in Africa, I'm not sure if it's exactly Nigeria, um, but being kidnapped from different places in West Africa, we lost a language. And understanding that there's a part in here where the, the main character, Zaley, um, is talking about how she hasn't heard Yoruba in such a while. And then understanding that that is a tool of colonization. Just making sure people do not understand the language Mm -hmm. reading this book here, I actually stopped to look up every single phrase that I could possibly look up um, because it meant a lot to me. So when I looked up Anand's name and, and read that it, it meant son. And then when I looked up Zaylee's name and I meant, I saw that it, it's, it meant reserved and she's not reserved in any sense of the word. Um, I just, that was part of my approach to reading this book. And um, that really made it like a, a, a different type of journey for me. And I'm glad I read it now because I had time to read it and I could relate it to my experience as, I'm just gonna say as an Orisha worshiper. Um, so had I not, like had my sister read this who was not an Orisha worshiper, this would have been a, this may have been a completely different story for her. That's a good point because I think um, that you bring it up. I am not. So I, the experience I'm getting from reading it, I have gotten from reading it, um, I'm certain is, and yet um, I believe still powerful. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about, because you did bring it up too, you know, there's so much going on in our country, so much going on. Um, 
for Black people, the history we talked about, um, kids not understanding, if they do at all, understanding where they come from, it's always negative with slavery, starting with slavery. And when you mention colonization, having everything about us and our origins stripped away, uh, whitewashed and demonized so that when I was growing up, a book like this, even the title, Children of Blood and Bone, what? Um, with, like you said, um, I pronounce it voodoo. Uh, that's my understanding of how to say it. But that sort of uh, deity worship or wizardry or, or magical was seen as so negative uh, and in lots of ways still do. And yet, um, I know there were the protests around the Harry Potter. I remember those few days because I was teaching it and had to I even send a letter out to say, but um, kind of, again, looked at in a different way. Um, and um, once again, the power to me of bringing this book forward in the setting that it's in, uh, bringing another uh, view of the continent, the way Black Panther did, right? And how powerful that is. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit about uh, a little piece of it now. And I want us to take a moment to really talk about um, what this book means in terms of um, for us as a people, right? Like I had not read the author's note uh, because it was in the back. I don't know where it is in your newer copy, but the author's it note is in the back, yeah. Isn't it? And it's usually in the front, right? And so I didn't even realize where she was coming from. So um, please correct my mispronunciation. Uh, Monique, I'm going to do my best, right, with some of them. But this is this is from the author uh, herself, uh, Tomi. Does she pronounce it or or Tomei? I think she pronounces it Tomi. I I I believe so. I'm just pretty sure that the her last name is Adeyemi. Adeyemi. Thank you for pronouncing that. Um, and if you're if you're watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I do want to read read her author's note because it is powerful and it, again, had me thinking in a lot of different ways um, what this book might mean. So, I shed many tears before I wrote this book. Many tears as I revised it and even as it sits in your hands now, I know that I will shed tears again. Although riding great lion ears and performing sacred rituals might be in the realm of fantasy, all the pain, fear, sorrow, and loss in this book is real. Children of Blood and Bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed black men, women, and children being shot by the police. I felt afraid and angry and helpless, but this book was the one thing that made me feel like I could do something about it. I told myself that if just one person could read it and have their hearts or minds changed, that I would have done something meaningful against a problem that often feels so much bigger than myself. Now this book exists and you 
are reading it. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. But if this story affects you in any way, all I ask is that you don't let it stop within the pages of this text. She goes on to talk about some of the characters and you know the experiences. I won't read that because you know if you have not read this yet, I don't want to spoil anything. But I'll I'll just go on towards the end and read the the last few lines here. And just like Zili and Amari, we have the power to change the evils in this world. We've been knocked down for far too long. Now let's rise. I, I almost feel the need to like hold a moment of silence after that. Mm -hmm. When I read that, Monique, which was after we had decided to read this, because I've had this book for, I think, three, four years. Yeah. Um, right? And you remember? It was early. I think it was your first year. Um, when I read where she was bringing, where she was birthing this, I was like, wow, now what more does this mean? You know? What what more can we get from this for our people? And um, I thought, what a powerful approach, you know, um, and that this can make maybe a difference in different lives. Do do you want to speak at all to, you know, to that? And again, to to you know any of that in the struggle that that we have? Well. It's funny because since the author's note was in the back, um, I didn't pay much attention to it either. And um, I only read it um, close to finishing the book. Um, I, read, I read much of it. And I'm just going to bring us to maybe a line or two lines before um, where you end it, where it says, and just like um, Zaylee and Amari, we mm -hmm. have the power to change. Right before that, it says, we are the children of blood and bone. And this is why I feel like language is so important. And I think there was a hint of that in the story when Zaylee was like, oh, I haven't heard Yoruba for such a long time. And just like saying, that's one of the tools. Uh, when we were brought here, when when we were brought here um, and we were made to work, we were not allowed to speak our language. We were mixed up with people who did not speak the language we did because this language is power. This language is powerful. I don't know everything um, that's, that, that is being said in the, um, in the Yoruba words before then, but she does say we are all children of blood and bone. Which help me understand, oh, okay, I get I get the title of the book, but in that it says a gungun. And for um a lot of people who worship um Arisha, a gungun means ancestors. So I'm wondering if that translation of bone relates to the bones of our ancestors. 
and just understanding the connection to ancestors. And when you think about certain points in the book, like um, I, I remember us talking about a, a certain or a specific place that I wanted to read from and I couldn't find much of anything, but there is one part in the story where I was like, whoa, wait a minute. When Zaylee, and I, I don't think I'm giving away too much, but when Zaylee had to find um, three major items, she had to find the stone, mm -hmm. she had to have the scrolls, mm -hmm. and she had to have the, um, the dagger. And what was the dagger made out of? The dagger was made out of like, uh, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but it's like Lanky or something like that. He was like a, a, a magi, something that was leading the way um, or helping them um, to get something they wanted to get. But these were the major things. And these were the major things of like the, I feel like the entire story. But the, the dag was made out of the blood. I'm sorry, not the blood, out of the bones of one of the people who were a part of that, that magis or that leaders, almost that spiritual leaders. Um, it, I don't think his ancestors, but someone related to his particular role in the story. And to think about that as ancestors, to think about the scrolls as possibly the words and the gatherings that we as a research worshipers call the Odu. That is our guiding, that's kind of like our Bible. Um, the Odu, the Odu Ifa, it helps us to understand like, okay, this is what the Orisha is saying specifically to us. That's the scroll, right? So we have ancestors, we have the scrolls, which are, are now our Odu Ifa. And then we have the stone, which is the actual kind of like, like just, just the concept of stone. And I'm just thinking about it like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, I think someone at, at some point in my life said water running over stones is the sound of eternity. Mm -hmm. um, but just the idea of stones when, when we have our shrines, when we put together our pots, when you've come to an elevated portion of our tradition and you are a priest or, uh, or a priestess, um, a stone is a really sacred part of your initiation. And so thinking about those three elements and that ended one of the chapters, it was maybe like 40 something or 50. And she was like, I have the stone, I have the blade, or I have the, the yeah, I have the stone, I have the blade and I have the scrolls. Mm -hmm. And saying something like we're ready mm -hmm. or giving the sense like we're ready. Mm -hmm. And so like, for me being an Orisha worshiper, I'm just like, whoa, wait a minute, that's like the complete package. So when I think about my experience or my family's experience, we've been kidnapped, right? We were here, had to go through the middle passage, had to go through um, the, the genetically shaping experience or trauma of slavery. We had to go through reconstruction we had to go through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and Lord mercy, the 90s in New York City. Um, speak it now, speak it. And so we had to go through that. 
In the meantime, our, 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 our shrines were abandoned. And what did we have to hold on to? Our language. We had our, our sacred text, which were really a collection of stories. Mm-hmm. And we had elements of nature. So things like stone. So for us to be bringing that over with us and for people to be practicing that today and for people to be moving from Christianity because I grew up um, as, as a Baptist, a Baptist Christian. Um, and we came to serve the Lord every Sunday. We, I was there. I went to college and I found out all of these symbols that I was living around because I lived in a part of the Bronx that was highly uh, populated by Latinos um, and specifically specifically um, Puerto Ricans. And in my neighborhood, I can't say for every single Puerto Rican, every single Puerto Rican neighborhood around the globe, but in my particular neighborhood, there were botanicas. And in those botanicas, you had all of these different symbols. And I knew of them. I was aware of it. And I was like, mm, that's that stuff. We don't play with that. We don't go in that store unless we want to hit the numbers or we want like a little like fortune telling little session. When I got to college, I realized that these things were steeped in African traditions. And this is an African tradition. And when I got my first reading, um, they said, oh my gosh, you're the chosen one. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, they said it to everyone, but it was such a powerful moment. You are the chosen one in your family that is, you're meant to bring people in your family back to a tradition that they once practiced before. And so like, once I got there, like now I started learning about oh my gosh, I need to have a better connection with my ancestors. There goes that spear. And now that I was becoming a practicing Orisha worshiper, I learned more about Odoo. There's a scroll. And so I'm collecting all of my things for my magic to return. And so for me, this was that type of journey. So the the entire story played out that way. So when we thinking of the diviners, oh yeah, they're the ones with the white hair. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Even though her family are a family of reapers, like her hair is white. White is for Obatala. Obatala represents, yes, kings, mm-hmm. um, but he also represents beggars, vagrants, anyone who is special ed or considered special ed, because we know that those who are in quote unquote special ed are some of the most gifted students that we have. That is who Obatala represents. And to some extent you wonder like if we as brown people, if we are the like Obatalas, if we're the diviners of like the world or at least United States, are we like the diviners? Are we all trying to find or get our magic back? And, and then once we get it, how do we keep it? And that's what reminds me about her statement in the back. Like 
when she says, now let's rise. This is our moment. This is our moment to rise. We have every opportunity to now collect all of our artifacts so that we can actually rise. That's what this book was for me as I was reading it. This was like a journey. This was this, to some extent my journey. And I was speaking to someone about it and he was telling me like, whoa, I totally would not have read the book that way. I totally would have not, I've not read the book that way because I didn't. And this is, you know, there's so many reasons why I'm so thankful that you agreed to do this. Like, yes, you're my sister friend. Yes, you know, I could have twisted your arm. I didn't have to, I didn't have to. Um, but I don't have this knowledge that you do, which makes this such a, a revelation for me, wanting me to dig back in it. And, and I wanna to touch upon a couple of the things you said, you know, one of them being, um, you know, be, people coming out of Christianity kind of into something else. I've, I've said it before and it's, you know, it gets to be a touchy subject. Like you said, when we came here, excuse me, when we were kidnapped and dragged here, words matter. Yes. Um, and stripped uh, and, and stripped in every sense from the clothing, literally, right? Stripped of clothing, stripped of adornment, stripped of titles. We weren't just crazy people, you know, whatever. Stripped of all of the, you know, prestige and, and, and positions, stripped of language, stripped of spiritual practices. Mm -hmm. And what did they replace that with? You were saying you grew up, you know, didn't we all? Mm -hmm. Don't we all know, you know, I don't care who you are. You got a big mama somewhere, you know, who prayed for you and is praying for you now. Our religion became the religion of our oppressors. Mm -hmm. And we, we don't even think twice about that now, you know, and demonized those practices like you just said you don't go voodoo this evil it's to destroy and so what is that but but mind you know washing so that we won't dare mm -hmm. go near our power as you just said we won't dare explore that side um and i didn't i mean i was terrified and when you said people moving away you were sitting there talking about things like the stone and the Bones. I mean, we've had that idea of like, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, mm -hmm. but not, you know, in the way I think there's that understanding now when you talked about bringing stones. Now in the, you know, the, the middle class, you know, white narrative, you know, having crystals as people are understanding, right? Reiki is, you know, an acceptable and yet that is that is our legacy mm -hmm. um so i i really want you we, we talked about it before i really want you lest lest you all vermonters think this is not a book for you 
<laughs> we're about to talk about how we here in Vermont, um, and those, those of you who aren't from the African background could use this book and experience it. I, I want you because of, you know, you touched upon it, how everything connected, that's how you disempower people, right? You take away their power, you make it negative, you make it evil, you know, you associate black with evil and, you know, um, magical is okay, voodoo, you know, is, is the blood with the, you know, and all, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yet Harry Potter had a little bit of that in it. Anyway, uh, can you, <laughs> can you talk about, share the story you talked to me about um, when a white person encountered <laughs> some of our magic? Um, so please share that story. Um, that particular story dealt, well, more recently, um, my, my daughters helped to put up a little free library in our neighborhood. Whoop, whoop. Um, and, um, I joined a little free library kind of, um, a, a Facebook group. And for, for one of the, um, I forgot what we call the, the owners of a little free library, but for one of the owners, they posted a picture of the cover of, of Children of Blood and Bone. And I think the, um, the, um, what was the, what's the name of the next one in the series? Oh, oh. Uh, it's right it in here. Children of, I think you have it. Cause my edition, I do not believe she was, uh, had yet begun. I got it. Children of Virtue and Vengeance. Thank so you. it had, it had two pictures similar to this. And, um, and it, it was a little free library um, owner. They took a picture of this. Someone donated this book and the next book in the series. And for a lot of people that would have been like, oh my gosh, when can I go and get that book? Um, her response was, oh, someone donated these two books. She posted the picture on the, um, almost like the listserv. And she said, someone donated these um, books here. And I had to pull them out because I didn't know what type of worship they were condoning. And so, um, yeah, there were a number of responses there. Um, a lot of people were saying like, oh, those are like, those books are golden. Like you need to put them in your little free library. That was a gift. Um, there was someone else who responded uh, uh, in a way that was a little bit more angry that called her a racist and said, <laughs> why do you think that when you see these images automatically is some negative magic, something that is turning people over to quote unquote, the dark side. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because it was, it was, a, it was a lot meaner than that, but just understanding that just the picture here, um, brings people back to that, that, that understanding that there are two sides, there's a good side, white, clean, pristine, and then there's the dark side. Um, and it's, it's in part why I was asking you, like, is that okay? Because uh, God forbid if I mentioned the word voodoo in, in class and the kids would be like, oh, is that voodoo? Um, and, and that's in part why 
this book is absolutely in, in, important. Now, when I was mentioning the stuff before, I wasn't Christian shaming. I was sharing my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that our family was meant to um, explore some things other than Christianity. Um, if Christianity brings you to your life's mission, um, to your yum in life, um, you go and you be you. Because even in Christianity, we as brown people have made it into something that satisfy us from the scripture, the way we interpret it, from the music. Um, however, I am choosing a different route. Um, but yes, the whole idea of like, Vodun and and worship and shrines mm-hmm. and, and and things of that sort and and those being negative. Um, I know at some point my daughter will deal with that, mm-hmm. and so having something like this would help her to kind of connect with that in a, a, a way that she can she can really pick up on because she's a real Harry Potter, real Percy Jackson person. Um, So we kind of read this together um, so that I can explain to her what these things were, what these deities were, and for her to understand the beauty of them and the connection to nature that is not always something that's promoted with... um, at least my in in my experience, um, Christianity. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it um, again, it's here we go, right? We have to explain. Um, I yeah. am not yeah. Christian shaming. I am not saying that Christianity is bad. I, right, um, right. It's the double standard, right? Where um, what I what I said was we we never even thought twice. Yeah that the religion that, and I agree that we've made our own, right? We've brought in some of our ancestral, you know, with the, with the drums mm-hmm. and you know, with the music rounded, which is a very, uh, you know, ancestral place to be um, versus the loftier songs that came from, the, you know, the more Eurocentric uh, <laughs> area. Um, but, but what I'm saying, like you're saying is we, we weren't even allowed to think that that's the connection and whether or not, right. We wanted to continue to pursue wonderful. Again, I, I'm, if anyone asks, I'd probably say I'm, you know, Christian or at least, you know, spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't even permitted because of the double standard that this was such a negative thing. And, you know, my connection with that is saying now that, again, white stream America, you know, has bringing in that idea of crystals and healing powers of the, that that, that is real Reiki, not necessarily saying that's connected to, I don't know enough about it to say whether it's connected to us, but I I know it's connected to people of color, Um, you know, that kind, right, that kind of healing Um, and the the double standard that comes along with it and having a book that like you said, for your daughter, for my children, for anyone, whether you practice it or not, that puts, uh, yes, a different spin. Again, we don't have that singular story of yes, of yes. negative, of we started with slavery. No, we started as kings yeah. and queens yeah. um, and, and have that second thing. Um, and I think this is a perfect segue into um, 
you know, this is, this is Vermont Reads <laughs> and, and you and I could talk all day and have, and we'll continue to, right, about why this is so important for, for our children, for our people, um, for all of our people. You know, as we continue to struggle, uh, we are we are recording the week of uh, the insurrection, where you know, the rest of America is starting to understand and see the severity of the double standard. Oh uh, yes, and that is that is the 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 most extreme of the most extreme. And although many of us, I know you and I have talked about it, you know, are happy that you're starting to understand that, you know, dear father, it took literally a siege upon the Capitol, mm -hmm. you know, and the, their, and the sort of lack of uh, uh, aftermath, right? There really wasn't much of an aftermath um, for people to start to say, oh, wait, now if they were they're black people. I'm not sure this would have gone. You know, mainstream media is like, well, that was a black person. Um, so the segue I want to say is, is to then, why is this book important for everyone, not just Black America? Um, Vermont, I am in Burlington School District. It is a very, for Vermont, right? Let's, let's put a little bit context, right? You and I know diversity a little different in Philly, uh, you know, but it is, you know, from what I understand, right? It is, it is one of the more diverse, I think the second most diverse um, with a much higher percentage of um, uh, the acronym BIPOC, which I do not like. No. And I don't like it is because you somehow managed to take everyone else and still other them, uh, right? Yes. Let's just take everybody except white people and other them into this one category that perhaps white people can, you know, wrap their head around. But I digress. Um, and, you know, bringing different types of literature centered around people who don't you know, look like the traditional Vermonter. Um, and also knowing, uh, as I'm learning, that there are still, still, I'm sure you can appreciate um, from what we've talked about, still a lot of uh, school districts in Vermont that diversity is minuscule. Mm -hmm. I've heard of ones where there's maybe a Black family um, or, wow. <laughs> right? Um, and we both know, you know, we're talking about Vermont, like it's exclusive. We both know in the Philadelphia area, once you get out of Philly proper, right? Mm -hmm. and, and when I say out of, for you all who don't understand, I mean, literally across the borderline, yeah. those school districts look very, very different. Probably mm -hmm. a lot more like Vermont. You know, I grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey. I joke and say it's the shore of Vermont, right? It's the the short down of Vermont because of the dynamics. So what I'm leading to is why is seeing this, experiencing something like this, important for people who don't look like this and who might feel like like that woman said, oh, I don't know, oh, is this, you know, why, why should they care to have this be part of what they experience? I would think one, right? Because being an anti-racist now is a in thing, right? Um, 
as a part of being anti-racist, you're, you're being more active. Um, whatever that means in your realm um, or in your community. Um, reading, a lot of people have been doing a lot of reading. Um, and, and I feel like in order to, as a part of the process, I guess, to become more anti-racist, which a lot of people are working on right now, you have to study stories. You have to study stories. Stories are generally the, the, the history of a group of people. In this book, you have language. Language can, can be its own story. Uh, actually, language is its own story. If you're trying to find out more about different people, go find a, a story about those people. Like, don't, don't read adult books. Or in, in, in addition to your adult books, read some children's books about stories that are related to a religious tradition or to a group of people. And for some, some groups of people, you can't even separate the religious tradition from the group of people. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful, Monique, because I was thinking too along, you know, when we were getting ready to do this and thinking uh, and living here now, right? And being an educator here and uh, Burlington School District, I know part of, you know, the new uh, superintendent coming in the same time I came in, you know, is, is bringing in this uh, equity aspect and wanting it to be front and center. And, and I was sitting here thinking, uh, just as the ways you were talking, when you were talking about the maps and the language, imagine a um, history class that is using this book to understand. Imagine um, you're starting with this book as you're discussing the people who make up America, you know, instead of with just slavery. Um, if you're going to be anti-racist, teach through the lens of, of social justice, uh, which to me, again, the words, I mean, so you're going to teach truth? Oh, so you're going to, you're going to teach the truth now because what we've been teaching hasn't incorporated all the truth. It's been skewed by one very narrow. So in order to understand even who we are, what this country is, we, we must incorporate it all. We must have our children understand, uh, of all of our children, uh, everyone in differences, because those children grow up Mm -hmm. The children in front of us grow up and become leaders, mm -hmm. whether that's in the political realm, whether that's in our communities, right? they will help to make decisions that affect everybody. Right. Uh, they may choose to go off and try to destroy that which they don't know and fear. There's something in the book about this. It actually says like the, the reason why they have tried to, or they have attempted to take their magic away because at one point they loved them. They love the diviners. They love the fact that they could do magic. And then that changed to um, maybe a jealousy and then a fear. Yeah. And then that's when we talk about the raids that they had and 
there's still a huge fear. They even, there's even a fear amongst um, Anon. I think his name means son. Mm -hmm. um, Anon, who was like, oh my gosh, I hate magic, but oh, wait a minute. I won't give that point away, but wait a minute. Right? Um, that, that which I fear is may is now me is now me that uh, talks that that's a whole complete that's a whole nother session girl girl that's all, that could be a whole nother session because some of the notes i wrote in here about black people calling other black people maggots and i'm like oh wait a minute this is not too far from thank you today thank but see, this is why stories really really help you understand not only a a, a culture but it can also help you understand the historical uh, advancement of the culture. Mm -hmm. um, two things that I think I want to put out there. I think I, the, the second one escaped me, but I know when for my, my, my daughter's school, we were planning a, a Dia de los Muertos something or a celebration, which is, um, Mexican, um, at least how we, we consider it um, nowadays, um, is, is, I believe, yes, is, is considered to be Mexican in origin. And then um, as a part of the celebration, I wanted to play uh, a game of bingo. Um, it's called Lateria. And, um, and I think a lot of uh, um, Mexican um, neighborhoods or, or in, I guess, the, the just general culture. It's called Lateria. And when you purchase it, they have one little space on there that says um, um, El Negrito. Oh, yes. And it's supposed to stand for the little black man. And so you go and you interpret it with those eyes. And it's funny because I had a conversation with one of the ladies that was helping me to um, organize it. Um, and I also did my research, but just understanding that particular game, she was familiar with it. She was like, uh, when you get lots of make sure you get a newer version. And I knew exactly why mm -hmm. I knew I was like, Oh, she's speaking to a Brown person. And she realizes that it has, and I was like, Oh, are you talking about the, um, El Negrito? She was like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really mean what people in the United States and then I was like, hmm, that truly was a study of the culture for me. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, you study a culture, you do some of the things that are done, you play the games, you read the stories, um, and you learn the history. And sometimes the history is learned through the stories. Um, so just reading a, a, a book like this helps, helps kids, I think, to kind of connect with the story but also kind of study history. Because yeah. one thing that I do, that I'm trying to get kids to do in school, brown kids in particular, when they are in a classroom and history is presented for them, if they are not a part of that narrative or that story, as a student, part of their job should be to say, Oh, excuse me. Um, what? Where would my story fit in here? Mm -hmm. People love stories about their culture. Mm -hmm. Why do we think Hamilton was such a huge hit? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And, and the, the fact that you said, hey, I, I want to hit upon something you just said, which was, you know, when a child doesn't see themselves, they should be empowered to say, hey, where? And what I want to say too, to, to uh, you know, Vermont educators who are listening, um, as well as anyone else, when we should be raising children who should stop and say, hey, where's anyone else? You know, where is, I'm noticing that we're really not talking about, where is that? That's the kind of um, education that we should be instilling in everyone so that we start to notice who isn't represented when we talk about equity and we talk about that. Um, and not only like who's not represented, but also what's happening around the world at the same time. Yes. Because I think the most confusing part of studying history for me as a young kid was understanding that something that I studied about that was happening, happening in Europe was happening around the same time that something else I studied the following year um, that dealt with Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yes, it's good to study history um, mm -hmm. and it's good to have different perspectives, and also just keeping in mind, like, what else was happening mm -hmm. around this time in different parts of the world? I have a wonderful ad advisee um, at my school, and she is, our family is um, from Nigeria. Um, so, of course, she read this book. Um, she had a lot to say about it, and it was I can't wait to tell her that I read this and for us to have another conversation um, about it. She got to meet the author as well. But as we were talking about all of the stuff that was happening here, coronavirus, coronavirus, she kept bringing in information about Nigeria. She was like, Ms. Carter, did you hear stuff about SARS? And I'm like, oh, baby, I don't know. Let me look it up real quick. And that was my job as an educator. She did something that was, that showed me how empowered she was. She knows that I would just say like, hmm, either yes or no. And I'd be very honest with her, but then I would do some research mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And so like now I say to myself, oh, wow, what else is happening in other places in the world? Right. And, and so not only do we need to bring in other people's stories, but when we study like certain periods in history, we need to find out what else is happening in different parts of the world. And that can help to bring in other people's stories. And, and I'm glad you mentioned other people's stories. I know <clears throat> Vermont overall, just, you know, particularly here in Burlington has seen that uh, influx of different cultures. And, you know, how do you serve? Uh, how do you meet needs? Things like that, again, stories you know allowing children to see themselves and and ensuring that children understand there's more than just them yes at the center of the yes. universe and, and it's i love that you said around the world because we as americans you know we nope. Nope. have that we're the center of the universe and yes. um, you know i know i know we can go on and on because yes. uh, y'all should know we've done some you know some <laughs> 
look, we miss each other. And yes, yes. <laughs> right? We're going to have to see. Y'all going to have to see. Maybe we can do a part two. Uh, <laughs> when I bring, where we can bring us back. On page seven. Right? <laughs> But what I what I I I do want to say because there's just so many that's that's the power of it. There's so many places you can go, um, and I know um, one of the things that I've heard of Vermonters doing is is sort of this uh, library audit, book audit. Um, like I I still say you know even if you have half of the books that are outside of the culture of Euro, white Euro, Eurocentric, that's still not enough. We've been teaching for centuries from one. I almost say, let's flip the script, <laughs> you know, um, and almost bring in the majority of, of a representation um, for a bit, you know, until it, it, and, and allow it to be that. But um, I, I just wanna offer an opportunity, Monique, for you to, you know, final thoughts. Um, again, we could go just on, on a little nut, just the stone we could talk about, you know, uh, and do a dissertation, but, but kind of as a way of wrapping this up, what, what final thoughts would you like to ensure that you share, um, you know, during this time that you and I have together? Um, probably just a thought that, that um, occurs to me right now that might be my final thought is that, um, this is not final. Mm -hmm. um, books are meant to be read more than once. Um, one of the gifts um, that my daughter has reminded me of is that in different states, like reading, I, I would see her read a book, really thick book. And probably a month or two months later, I would see her rereading the same book. And I, was, I would say to myself, like, why are you reading that book over again? And she was like, mom, you know, I love to read. And I was like, are you picking up at least some different things in there? Um, and she was like, yeah, I love this part. And I was like, I hope you're looking at it in a different way because now you have two more months of life and now you can give it possibly a different perspective. I was going to pick up the, the book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Um, just so I can reread it. I read it last when I was 12. Now, can you imagine what I would be bringing to that particular story that I didn't have when I read it the first time? I would say like, this is one of the awesome parts of having kids. You get to reread all of the stories that you read just to make sure it's appropriate. Um, but I hope to come to this book um, again. Mm -hmm. um, at a different stage in my life and to reread it. Mm -hmm. um, the neatest part is that my daughter's reading it um, or read it the same time that I read it, which means we have two different perspectives. And so just talking to her about, hey, do you know who Oya is? And for her to say like, oh yeah, I know. And I was like, <laughs> um, that was just a magical moment for me. And to think about, we had that conversation based off of a book that we read, a mainstream book that we both read. Um, I hope she gets a chance to reread this as she gets further into her Orisha worship. And I hope she gets an opportunity to read this with then a different lens. And I hope in another stage of my life that I get a chance to reread this with a different lens. 
And it's funny, being an author of a book, people take your story and they make it theirs. And the only thing I, I'd love to ask her is like, where were you when you were reading the story? What was, what was your interpretation? Because I read through this, I'm like, does she do this on purpose? The Portuguese and the Spani Empire and the Britannis, like, did she do this on purpose? So my final thought is that um, books were are made to be read and reread. Um, read it, read it again. Read many books again um, in different stages of life. They have different lessons for you. And um, just a challenge is just being open to um, the messages that books might have for you. I, I don't know if there could have been a more powerful message than that, it, it, because I, I, you bring so much, Monique, I'm going to tear up. Um, this is not the end. This is nope. not the final, that, that books are meant to be read and reread. We certainly know that among other literature, you know, Shakespeare, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, other books that are still in circulation in, in classrooms and standard readings. So, um, I know I got something else out of it, even preparing for this as I was reading it. Uh, I know after I read her, her remarks, I got something different out of it. After speaking with you, I'll get something different out of it. Um, there's, there's not enough thank yous to say to you for, for spending this time with me um, and, and agreeing to do this. Vermont, I'm one of you now. Uh, there's a piece of me still in Philly. There will always be. There's a piece of me still in Ocean City. I am a Black woman, <laughs> a proud Black woman. And every single student, child in Vermont needs to experience the beauty, the wonder, the mystique, the power, the magic of children of blood and bone. And, and your children can. They can. They're ready for it. Uh, and, and I just wanna, I wanna close with this because those words hit me to the bone. We've been knocked down for so long. Now let's rise. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to Vermont Reads for allowing me to guest host. Uh, again, I'm Erica Saunders. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our time together. Again, my deepest thanks to the one and only Monique Carter, my sister friend. Everyone take care, go out. Let's get into some good trouble. Mm. Children of blood and bone could be your first step. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> This has been an episode of VTED Reads, a podcast by, for, and with Vermont educators. A huge thank you to Erica Saunders and her guest, Monique Carter, for appearing on our show. If you want to find out more about children of blood and bone, check out your local library. If you want to find out more about VTED Reads, go to vtedreads.tarentinstitute.org. This podcast is a production of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. You can follow us on 
Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.